Hello, and welcome to the Nature City Podcast, the show where we get to know our wild neighbors. In our first episode, I sit down with Sarah Bryson, past president of the Saskatoon Nature Society, to talk about getting people interested in the wild world around them. I'm Adrian, your host and fellow naturalist. This is episode one, Connections. Let's put on our shoes and see what's out there. Why don't you say who you are and a little bit about what you do? My name is Sarah Bryson, and I'm the current president of the Saskatoon Nature Society. The Saskatoon Nature Society is an organization of about 400 members right now, and we focus on education and conservation of nature in and around Saskatoon. And the board and many members advocate for nature and environmental topics and areas in and around the city. What made you interested in the Nature City Festival? It really shares the same mission as the Nature Society, getting people out into nature and aware of what Saskatoon has to offer. We're so lucky with Saskatoon. It's so easy to just step outside, go downtown to the Riverwalk, or there's so many parks and naturalized parks too. And the whole Miwasan Trail along the river is so accessible. It's really quite amazing. And I really appreciate the urban forest we have here. And that's part of getting out of nature, recognizing the nature around you. And I think that's what Nature City Festival really kind of embodies is recognizing that nature is all around. In the summer, I was working outside when the weather was nicer and just seeing all the birds that pass through the backyard. I had no idea. There were flycatchers and warblers. We did that bird count together and you saw a cormorant fly over, which is unlikely in the Haltane neighborhood. Yeah, that was so weird. Something that really impressed me on that bird count was how well you knew the families of birds around your house. They were almost friends. You're like, oh yeah, those crows. (laughs) They are. I say good morning to them sometimes. And the magpie and that crow family, how they nested so close together. And I swear when the crows first moved in that they decided on the line and they're like okay from this street over is magpie territory but from this side of the street over it's crows and then my yard seemed to be a common ground where the juveniles could play together even being that person that would sit on my front step and watch them People walking by in the neighborhood ask you what you're doing. It's a good way to have people notice what's in the neighborhood as well. We had that on the bird count too. And we had that when I did the bird count before. And really anytime you're wearing a pair of binoculars and making it look interesting enough, people will question what you're doing. In a good way. Yeah, it's just like neighbors. There's those shared spaces outside in the front yard where kids will interact. And then there's the areas that were like, nope, that's my house. Stay away. We were out at Chief Whitecap over the weekend watching the cranes, and we were just sitting there, and we were looking like serious birders. We had our spotting scope, we had a camera set up. So many people stopped by and just be like, ah, what are those birds? (laughs) I think one person stood out because we're like, oh yeah, sandhill cranes, and you could see them working over the word. They're just like, sandhill cranes. Yeah, like, not a goose. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Being so active in both Nature City Festival and being active in the Saskatoon Nature Society, what do you think it takes for people to get excited about nature? 
I was just born right into it. Thompson, he is cut out of muskeg boreal forest. So you don't really have a choice. There's warnings about, oh, the pack of wolves are in town. So be careful with your pet or there's low food for bears. So watch your garbage. And then just watching the ravens in amazement of how they work together in a group to open your metal garbage can with click lid and lift the blanket up. It just amazing <laughs> to see those kind of amazing things in person. And there's a waterfall there and you're right in it. And then I also had kind of a mentor down the street. I would take care of their cat when they were out of town. And one time that I did that, they were away for maybe a bit longer. And I was 13 and they brought me back my first bird guide. He taught me about the different birds and how to recognize them. And so when I really got interested and took a closer look and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And then when I went to university, I found out that, oh my gosh, you can actually do a degree in nature. It really blew my mind. I can go and learn about the forest. This is like a thing. Yeah, that blew my mind. And then it's just gone on since then. Birders talk about having a spark bird. Do you have anything like that? So we had this big birch tree outside of our window in the living room growing up. And we had a bird feeder there. And so we'd watch all the birds come. And I think we always had boreal chickadees, which are super cute. And gray jays, which are amazing to interact with. Same with the ravens just watching how intelligent they are is just so cool but we had this little bat bird and it would come in some of the coldest weather in minus 40 or lower we couldn't figure it out and so i asked my mentor and it was a hoary red pole. They're so small, really the size of a warbler and they're just little poofs especially in minus 40 because they're so fluffed up and my sister and I would actually sing to them through the window. Instead mm. of Blackbird, we would sing Fat Bird singing in the, in the dead of winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. I, that's so, oh man, kids, I love that. Yeah, I'm sure we did very similar things. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was the only bird that we sang to, like that we created a song for. But with the red poles would come the pine grosbeaks and evening grosbeaks that were so beautiful. Those are the different birds that sparked. Like, what are those things? How are they different than the other guys? Yeah, that curiosity is super important. I think that is the question that gets so many people into birds. It's like, what is that? That doesn't look like a robin or a crow. Are there things that the Nature Society does to try and inspire those moments in people? I don't know if people understand the vast knowledge that the members of the nature society have between us so many people know so much about different types of birds or like myself i know more about plants and trees and processes of nature around us quite a few 
long-term members have been professors at the university. It's just amazing the wealth of knowledge that there is. And you can go on these trips and we're all willing to share the information because we're excited about that. And we want to share that excitement with other people. So when I met Megan out on, I think, a bio blitz for Miwasin, I knew we would be good friends because we both did a dance when we saw blue grandma grass. I was like, oh yeah, this friendship is going to work out real well. (laughs) It's the different facts that people don't quite understand, like about a native grass and how it works within the ecosystem or explaining to someone jays and, and ravens and crows, they're very intelligent and they do use tools and have their family units and their lives are quite interesting a lot more than some people might think. If you ever talk to Martin Stoffel about owls, or hawks. He has so many interesting facts. You can't not be excited about raptors. It's unavoidable. When I joined the Saskatoon Nature Society, I remember calling my mom and being like, mom, I went to this meeting. I found my people. Everyone's like me. Everyone's a nature nerd. And then you go to Nature City Festival and it's all these groups coming together and everyone gets to see what everyone has to offer and collaborate and be excited about the same things. It is that passion and that feeling of finding people who you belong with and realizing that there are other people in that community excited about plants or insects. And I think it is so much easier now than it used to be to find those communities and those people who have those shared interests. And then other people on the street see you being excited about something and then they ask you about it and then it's a whole waterfall effect. Yeah, those people who reached out to us and asked us, like, we want to attract more birds to our yard. How would we do that? When you talk to people about nature, what do they tell you about? Are there any questions that you get asked often? People will just ask what a certain bird is or a certain plant. And they don't necessarily know what you need to identify something. So they'll say a brown bird and then you specify, great, lots of brown birds, so many brown birds. The Merlin app actually uses this. Bigger or smaller than a robin? Yeah, I guess everyone knows a robin and how big a robin is. Right? It's pretty common to know what a robin is. If they don't know what a robin is, then I don't know. You could say... Hamster? Maybe cat? Did it look angry? Was it happy, maybe? Yeah, or or they'll try to recreate a song and that doesn't really work. No, it never really does. It's trying to break down the description and people find that interesting because then it helps them to future identify things. That's usually the questions is identifying different species. Those are the most common questions. Or the difference between spruce and pine or what's an easy way to tell them apart. That's a common one that I get asked. The easy way to tell them apart is that (laughs) spruce trees, their needles are smaller and singular and pine trees they all come in pairs or more and the needles are generally longer perfect and then fir have the fairly flat leaves right that branch out yeah or about the swale people ask about the swale often which is great because more people need to know about the swale and what it does and why it's important for saskatoon If you could set the direction for conservation in the city, what are the things you would do? 
like we have to conserve what we have. People need to understand that it's all part of a bigger system. You can think of it this way. People in COVID that are cut off from everyone are having a real hard time. They're maybe changing a little bit or being isolated. And people are social animals naturally and most don't function. You can't create a biome completely isolated from everything else. It needs to work with its other parts. You get invasive species coming in and animals and birds would be cut off and not wanting to come from light pollution and encroachment. An ecosystem is a social place too, is what I take from what you're saying. For an ecosystem to work, it needs to be social with other pieces of the ecosystem. And think of water. If you stop flowing water, it becomes a pond. It's not It's not a river anymore. It becomes something completely different. It's the same. There needs to be connections so that everything has its working parts. It's a living being. It needs to, to interact with other, with other aspects of, of nature. Definitely. So then what would you say is the biggest threat to a natural space that you care a lot about? Urban development and lack of awareness of the value of the area. And I think that then ties into Nature City Festival, getting people aware of what we have and why it's worth us conserving it. And so that we can save it for future generations and make sure it stays intact. Yeah, definitely. And then I think with development too, when there's so many opportunities to develop spaces that are nearby, which are maybe fields and not of particular habitat value at the moment. Yes, exactly. They might see, oh, well, that's a grass. Actually, it's a fescue. And it's not super common because <laughs> people keep planting lawn grass, Kentucky blue, over it. I think it's really hard for people to understand landscapes, especially if even the idea of knowing the species of grass in a lawn is impossible. It's very hard to understand a native prairie. Exactly, exactly. And making those distinctions, even if you said this is a green space, and this is a space of native prairie, and just looked at the two, you can definitely see that they're quite different. Although a lawn isn't necessarily a working ecosystem. It is, but it needs some help. There are so many resources out there to help even a lawn become a decent looking ecosystem. I always think of my yard where some yarrow has snuck in and there's some prairie and pasture sage and it's all well behaved because it gets mowed pretty often. Right? And that's all it needs. It just needs you to imitate bison and then it's good to go. Yeah. And a lawnmower is a very small bison. <laughs> you could just constantly walk over it, but I don't know if that would have the same effect. You'd have to do a lot of it. Just get a goat. Yeah, I mean, that cities definitely love their goats. <laughs> definitely something that everyone's happy with. Right? Chickens, maybe. I always think that Canada geese could play a really great role in mowing. I always watch them in Kiwanis Memorial Park. They keep that grass very well clipped. No one complains about that, maybe. I don't actually know. I'm sure there's people who complain about that. I'm sure there's lots of people. So then pretending that you're talking to yourself as a young adult or a youth, what would you say to young Sarah? Oh my goodness. I've been a nature person my whole life. So young Sarah would be like, oh my gosh, you're the president. And the other week you flew a hawk. She'd be freaking out right now. I really love that you're like, you've realized the thing that you're always going for, young Sarah. You did it. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. I'm the one that will just go up to people if it looks like they're looking at a plan and be like, hey, want to know what that is? That's a whatever. Recently, I've helped people identify asters at Cranberry Flats, but you meet a lot of people and it's surprising how many people appreciate that though. Although I'm sure there are some people that are like, wow, that lady's crazy, but I know what my flowers are now. (laughs) Oh, good. The crazy flower lady stopped by to tell me what happened. (laughs) You're like the flower prophet. (laughs) Swing in and are like, behold. But that's like, I think as a youth, I would sit and watch things. You kind of see how everything interacts that way. But to know a bit more about it, to kind of put the pieces together is pretty cool. Definitely. I think nature in the city is such a strange combination, which is what's so great about the Nature City Festival. I always think about it as an unusual mix because we think about these large protected areas or nature being the boreal forest or grasslands national park. But to have a lot of species diversity, like that bird count we want on seeing, was it 33, 38 species? 26. Okay, 26. I'm not great with numbers. (laughs) That's still a lot of species in two hours. I don't know if someone would guess that there would be that many species just kicking around. Especially if you really only know crow and robin and grass, maybe elm tree. I don't even know if people know their trees well enough to know elm trees. Yeah, I think... A common thing is people know that the city has planted elm trees. And so in the older neighborhoods, they have in the elm canopy. I think people understand that. But then when the city starts putting in linden, people don't know that. Ash too. I don't think people know ash. And then the odd birch tree. Oh, they're so beautiful. But yes, (laughs) I think people know birch. Yeah, they know to tear off all the bark so the tree dies. My heart. Maybe not in the city, but definitely any natural area. Like, oh yeah, they found the birch tree. Oh no. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating. Do you ever think about nature in the city specifically? My thought is more creating a corridor between those larger spaces outside of the city. May it be for pollinators, bees and butterflies. Right now, especially in the fall, migratory birds providing a safe space for those species to come through. And I think a big part of that is providing awareness. So people are aware that there are jackrabbits running around the city. There are coyotes that travel through parts of the city too. And they don't mean harm. It's just part of how they get to point A to point B or how they get to that rabbit for that reason. Yeah, same with birds and different animals like that. And there's a project going on with the University and Nature City Festival, Wild About Saskatoon, the UN project that is looking to better qualify and see how that interacts and how we can better incorporate that so people are better educated and not fearful. I do think people get very fearful and confused sometimes with wildlife when they see it. As I've been trying to research nearby neighbors and the idea of living near natural spaces that people are so shocked and I would almost say outraged sometimes when they see nature. It's it's very interesting. But I think that sometimes they don't understand that they have been doing this the whole time 
and everything's been cool. So if they just keep doing what they're doing, they just want to get from point A to point B. It's so strange. As I've been reading, I've been finding so many planning departments or pest control departments being like, you know, we'd probably rather not shoot this animal. We'd much rather we get along as neighbors. Yeah, like ground squirrels. They're kind of important for prairie habitat. They turn the soil, they spread seeds, they provide food for a lot of the raptors and other animals. They're very important, but people commonly see them as a nuisance. But if they were in their natural habitat, then they're fine. So it's a matter of just maintaining habitat that they have so that they don't become a nuisance for us. Yeah, and I think with neighborliness, it's also just about patience, right? Sometimes we have to be slightly inconvenienced by the animals around us. Right. And I think that maybe is the difference between people who inherently love wildlife and people who don't, is that willingness to be surprised or inconvenienced by caterpillars on their roses or something like that. I've noticed for a few years that there are orb spiders around the fence in the backyard. And they're so cool. They're big and they build these amazing webs. And the ones that I've been seeing have been female. They come out at night. So during the day, you just see this big, intricate, beautiful web. But then if you happen to step outside at night, you see this ginormous spider. And some people would not enjoy seeing that. (laughs) But they're helping people out. They probably take care of quite a few Maple bugs is probably why they're on my fence, honestly, and I'll take that. Same with bats. If you put a bat house up, I think people are coming around to bats because they're realizing how beneficial they are. And a really good selling point for bats is that they eat mosquitoes. You kind of have to find the mutual benefit of it. So like the big spiders, well, they would eat bigger nuisance insects. So that's a plus. I had juncos in my garden, and I'm pretty sure they're eating ants. <laughs> like, that's a pro. And also, I end up having lots of ladybugs, which is lovely. Yeah, just finding those mutual benefits. Are there people you would like to have us talk to? Hmm, how controversial do we want this to be? I don't know. I'm expecting those mosquito advocates coming after us already. They're going to be like, you know what? Those bats are killing our rare mosquito species and and we need them. Right. I don't know what for, but we need them. Yeah. I think topics to explore is the value of the river valley and maybe how to instill that in people or help people to see how lucky we are to have that, to have a functioning river walk where you can walk kilometers you can connect to the different destinations between or kayak or canoe down the river to these different destinations not every city has that it's amazing and I think some people maybe take it for granted a bit the value of our river valley system we are very very lucky as a city to have it that's wonderful thank you so much it's been really really great to talk to you thank you good to talk to you as always 
Adrian here with a few housekeeping notes. You might have noticed that this conversation was recorded in fall 2020. Since then, Sarah Bryson's term as president of the Saskatoon Nature Society has ended, but she's still very active in the Saskatoon naturalist community and you're sure to see her out on the pathways and walks around the city. If you're hoping to see sandhill cranes at Cranberry Flats, you'll need to wait a little bit longer. Some of the best time is mid-September when you can see these amazing birds migrating anywhere along the South Saskatchewan. It's really spectacular and something special about fall in Saskatoon. Thinking about our conversation, what struck me is how valuable it is to spend time watching the world around you. Taking that time to think about the ecosystems and the relationships that we're participating in as an urban species brings up many surprises, and I'm always amazed what our guests talk about. These are some themes we'll continue to explore throughout the season, so stay tuned, and see you next time.